Well, all right. So I wanted to share with you tonight from this passage of Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1, verse 40. I've already commented on Father Russ Parker when uh, we shared for a number of years, particularly on Tuesdays at the healing service. Now, on Tuesdays at the healing service, two things were supposed to happen. One was, believe it or not, people were supposed to be healed. But that's quaint when it comes to healing services. Uh, But the second thing was this. We wanted, or Russ wanted, to put up a healing service that was accessible in some way to as many different types of parishes as possible. I have come to see that we very often argue about the wrong things. And we have a a tendency to put on to God our likes and dislikes. Now, it's okay to have your likes and dislikes. But when you make your preference God in the wrong sense, you've lost it. And so very often people will argue, particularly in the healing ministry, about styles. And they use the style as an excuse to put them off. But what if, and I'm using an extreme example, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, on occasion, by the way, don't try it too often, would punch people. Now, you might say that's a fairly aggressive style. But I guarantee if you got punched and healed, you wouldn't care. That makes sense? The trouble is today we've got people out there learning the punching ministry and they should be sued. <laughs> but if, if you really think God tells you to do it, just hit them gently. But I'm, I'm trying to make a point that if we make style a barrier to what God wants to do. And I do believe this is, um, you know, it's come out of people like Mike Bickle and others, that sometimes your mind needs to get offended. Because if God can offend your mind, he'll get at your heart if you let him. And certainly I would know in my experience that, that I've done things with which I totally disagree And if God had asked me first, it would have been absolutely not. So we need to allow God to be God, and that's really quite difficult, because deep inside we have a sense of we want to be in charge. But one of the things that we would do at Acorn, this was one I used to love to preach on, so let's have a read of it. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if... If, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand, touched the man. I am. But I'm going to dig that tonight and say we don't believe that. Be 
Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest <coughs> excuse me, and to offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Now, in the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark... Mark is addressing something that you and I experience most of our life. Conflict. If you're alive, there's conflict. And if you have no conflict in your life, you're either on something that I don't know about, or you're lying. And the reason for that, of course, is in part that we have been birthed into a conflictual situation. Sin is our enemy. It will take us to death. Satan is our enemy. Sickness, in that sense, is our enemy. And so what you're seeing in those early chapters of Mark is this. Jesus is establishing his authority as Lord and creator over things. So he's Lord over sickness. He's Lord over the Sabbath. He's Lord over sin. He's Lord, he's Lord, he's Lord. But your conflict and my conflict is not simply a personal story, it is personal. But sometimes we can get into a place where we're kind of uh, sharing our stories at a level of my stories worse than yours. Well, let me explain something. Ron has shown off tonight that he's 24% British or something. It, it fluctuates. <laughs> but, you know, I just told him to get another test tube, spit in it, and send it off again. But here's the thing. This is my family tree. Adam, second Adam. Job done. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that, but you'll get the point. But in the conflictual stories leading up to Mark 8, where you greet the great confession of faith, this is a story of community. And you know, and I know, that in our society today, one of the great ingredients that is lacking is true community. And so your story and my story and the community story, and I know Russ will have done this with you, all gravitates together unless we give it over to the Lord and help him redeem it, because he's going to redeem it. But never ever put yourself at the center of the gospel. If you do, you'll end up in idolatry. The center of the gospel has another name. And his name is Jesus.
So here is Jesus and a man with leprosy. And we could explore leprosy. And of course, uh, much great work has been done through the leprosy mission, etc. And he's desperate. So he has heard some stories about Jesus. And he gets on his knees and he becomes thoroughly evangelical and charismatic. Oh, Lord, bless me. Please, if you just touch me a little. He's begging him. He's desperate. Jesus, I need you to do this. And he says this. He doesn't actually in one sense say, Jesus, can you heal me? This is very important. Listen, if God's God, do you think he can heal? So that's not the issue. And it's not really the issue for you and me. Can God heal? Yes. Otherwise, he's not God. And we could go into all of that. By the way, if the crucifixion is true, if the resurrection is true, then in one sense, it's all downhill from there. We're not trying to run uphill to get healed. We're running with God who has come, as it were, downhill into our society and has walked with us. So the question is not, can God heal? I suggest to you he can. The question most of us are facing is this. Does he have any willingness to do this? Or are we, come on, God! Now, I know some of you, and I get that. But I tell you, that thought process is alive and well in the church. And so it's a bit diffident. Well, maybe God will, maybe he won't. And I understand that the, you know, at one level, I wish I'd never heard of the healing ministry. And there's a good reason for that. If I wanted to be 100% successful, I'd have prayed for nobody, but never failed. On the other hand, when we pray for people, as I keep telling people, God's not on trial. He has got nothing to prove. He's done it. So there are lots of things I don't know. And I was telling Don earlier, I had a a chat a number of years ago, a privileged chat over two meals with Francis McNutt. And I said, Francis, my questions will sound cynical, but I don't know. He said, okay, let's explore that. If you are willing, you can cleanse me up. Notice that Jesus wasn't pleased with this. But notice how he responds, please. He reached out his hand, touched the man and said, I am willing. Now, in the context of Acorn and Christian listeners, there's something really important here. A friend of mine who was a leader of a new church, 
And please, I'm not being cynical about this. I was meeting with him one day, and he said, oh, I, I've got a counseling appointment later. And I thought, oh, what you mean is somebody's coming to see you? He said, no, I'm off to see my counselor. And, and I scratched my head, and I said, why do you want to see a counselor? He said, well, all right, I have to pay money, which is a bit... But it means that once a month, for 45 minutes, somebody listens to me. And whilst listening is not the totality of healing, have you ever felt you've been listened to? Or, I mean, obviously, I used to be like this. There was a Selwyn Hughes, who was one of our great counselors, said this, true listening is not coming up with the answer while the other person is still speaking. You like that one, do you? Selwyn Hughes. True listening is not coming up with the answer while the other person is still speaking but I'm a fix-it guy. But have you ever got in touch with being listened to? And I absolutely know that there are people who are healed simply by being listened to. Because behind that, there is a sense of somebody has taken me seriously. So there is an art in listening. There are all sorts of little things you can learn, and they're good. But from this text tonight, Jesus had listened. You see, he doesn't... The man's begging him, yes. But the man's begging him, saying, I know you can do this. I know you can. Are you willing to do it? And Jesus hears the question and answers the other person's question. I am willing. Now, immediately, this leprosy leaves him. Now, I want to run it through two grids. Number one, Personally, and there's still some more action in the story, but personally, this man would have been thrilled. He got what he wanted. But this will change everything about the community story. Now, if I may, I'm going to borrow Larry. Okay. Now, just imagine... I mean, he's looking pretty dapper, but just imagine Larry with leprosy. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Not that we're rejecting you, brother. It's just that you've got it, and we can't come near you. So depending on the accounts you read, you could almost picture Larry, this is nice, you'll like this, with a cowbell. So that as he comes, if you'd like to go and stand over there by the exit, just in case, we don't want to catch anything. 
you know about shame base, we're putting it on him. Anyway, now as he walks towards us, dong, 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 dong. And what the dong is saying, unclean, unclean, I'm coming through, get out of the way. Be my guest, brother, I'm out of the way. He's doing well, isn't he? Have you done this before? What's it like? <laughs> now, don't go anywhere. Oh, no, 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 no. We, are, we have not done with you. <clears throat> Come on, dear. <laughs> That's got to mean you all pray for people too quickly. You think, you think you're healed? No, you're not, Larry. Right. I want to take us to an example, and I know you've done it in this church. There's an example. It's a fairly old DVD now of Francis of Assisi. And the picture on that is of a leper, and he comes up the hill, and Francis is standing there. And so what happens, just very slowly, and then just stop about there if you would, Larry. Thank you. He comes up, it's all donging, and Francis won't get out of the way. Now, what is he to do? Because he's been taught... He can't touch anybody. And so as he comes up the hill, he's totally confused. And Ron's going to be so happy to see this. Powerful, isn't it? Long prayers. No. A touch. The touch of God. And I know some of you have done that in various ways. When um, I started traveling, I took my eldest son, who would have been seven at the time, to Romania. And everybody said to me, you can't do that, don't you love your son and care for him? I said, I do. But I said, if I can't take my most precious, we're playing at this. So my eldest son at seven was in Romania, Casting out demons, healing the sick, speaking in tongues. Because he never knew any different. But he also got to see and do what dad was doing. Not something in the right sense of this, wait till you're old enough. Now I know there are question marks about that. But they have never known anything different. So you invest the most precious.
And when his mother heard some of the things we got up to, she was very pleased. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So, touch is all important. I'm going to deviate now to the next thing. Oh, and by the way, if anybody feels just as we're going tonight that God is touching you, just, just come. We don't have to wait till the end. Switching gears very slightly, I led a ministry team uh, one year at a conference in Brighton. It was very demonically orientated in the best sense, I suppose, if you can have a good demonically orientated... And you may get the point. And as we began to pray, and this lady falls on the ground, hisses like a snake in front of us, and becomes the center of attraction. You know that kind of thing? And I watched her for a couple of minutes while everybody else is screaming and hissing back and binding this and flicking that. And I'm watching this, and I went over to her. May I just take your hand a moment? And I said, you know, dear, you don't have to do that. Come and have a cup of tea, because we're British. (laughs) And she stopped hissing like a snake, got up and came and had a cup of tea. I said, what are you doing? And she said, things have happened in my life. I am incredibly lonely. I said, so why are you on the floor hissing like a snake? She said, well, I've looked around and this is the way to get attention. That's terrible. Now, I would guarantee tonight that just for some of us, there's an incredible amount of loneliness. And it's very hard to walk up to somebody and say, Hi, my name's Sean, and I'm very lonely. So she was, I think, I think it's horrible that she would act demonized as the only way she could be prayed for. We just simply at times aren't honest with what we need. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, one of my great heroes or heroines, however you would say it, went to Waterloo Station in London, which is a a huge commuter station, so you've got people all over the place. And she stood there and she said, now remember where she comes from, she says, this is the loneliest place in the world I've ever been. People scurrying, people going about their daily business. And she said, I can feel the loneliness. And then she went to New York and she said, I have never felt so much poverty. Wow, what a prophetess. But you see, what had happened in this story is is that the leper, by definition, had his own personal problem, but he had to be disconnected from community. And 
please, you may have your own opinions on this, but just, just follow me and be nice to me and I go home tomorrow. Apparently, God is not all you need. Think of the early chapters of Genesis and take it out of the marriage context. It is not good for man to be alone, says God. God has made us for community with himself in the image and likeness of God. But we, for some at least, not me, but I have been told that there are some who are afraid of community. We might want to explore some of the great titles of the books by the Jesuit John Powell. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? We don't need to read the book. That's a great question. Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? And the answer John Powell of the Jesuit gives, he says, because if I tell you who I am, you might not like me anymore. So we decide how much to disclose. And I understand that. That's not a, you can't just go woof over everybody. But here's the problem. When you learn to do that with others, you actually can't help doing but do it to God. You can't close part of your life off here and say it's not going to be effect, affected over there. Does that make sense? You can't do it. We are not compartments. We're holistic. So anyway, I, I, I said to this lady, we had a cup of tea, and I said, well, come and join us. She said, can I? I said, well, I'm not really supposed to do this, but get on the ministry team. Just get cracking. Come join us. Do what we do. And so for three or four days, this woman comes into what we were doing. And as she comes into what we were doing, she's healed. Now, I don't know what happened to after she went home, but she knew that she was part of the community of God here. So willingness is an incredibly important thing. Be clean. You ever felt really clean? Ron took me on an exciting adventure this afternoon and we went to the car wash. It's great, it's very moving. But as those bug things came off, he was very happy, he expected his car. He, he went, I mean, just so happy, the car's white, you can see the paint. And then he says to me, and we're going to Orlando tomorrow, so we'll get some more. Now, what's the point of that story? other than the fact that you've got to feel sorry for me going to the car wash for an hour, by the way. Just because you knew the cleansing yesterday, it's like fresh bread. 
you and I are in a place where in our experience, we, we should be developing with Jesus our Savior a knowledge that I need saving more today than yesterday. All of the saints attest to this. The closer you get to Jesus in your experience, the wonderment increases, but it's like, go away from me. I am, to use the words of Peter, a sinful man. When Peter saw the power of God in fishing boats, all he could do is, oh dear. So we need to know, and we're going to do that later, fresh cleansing. And each one of you knows and you teach it the absolute importance of forgiveness. Now, be selfish for a moment. I know that we need to repent in order to be right with God in the right sense of that. But when you don't forgive, somebody else is controlling you. And what happens is, is that that control feeds you. And ultimately, you get gobbled up into that. And I think many of us would say, if you'd get gobbled up into that long enough, you open the door for some other critters to come. And so forgiveness is not just an intellectual exercise, it's an absolute necessity. Now, if you've been alive more than three seconds... You need to forgive and be forgiven. It's both and, by the way. And sometimes we're not good at the other stuff. The wrongs we have done, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the wrongs we have done and the wrongs done to us. And it's no good saying I haven't had wrongs done to me. I have. And Jesus says this, 70 times 7. And you know, because you've heard many sermons of this, I'm sure, you know forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's an ongoing choice. And by the way, people will come to you and say, oh, that's not easy. <laughs> to which I want to say, <clears throat> listen, Christianity is not supposed to be easy. Christianity is impossible. Otherwise, you would do it. You would. I thought we were supposed to need the Holy Spirit. So the God of the impossible, to use modern charismatic jargon, gives himself to us precisely so we can live the Jesus life. And we do settle back for two less. We, we settle back to, to, to go with God as far as we are able. That's daft. We put the limits on God. And we put the limits on ourselves. And God, it's not that it's kind of no limits American Christianity stuff. But I think we're absolutely convinced that we have not. I mean, never mind greater things that we shall do, speaking of which. But what about the things that we see just a little of and we want to see a whole lot more? If we've settled back for too little, we've settled back for too little. If you go to Waterloo Station again, you can go on the Bakerloo line on our underground system, and it's an old, old platform. 
And on that platform, it, 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 the, if you're not careful, when the train comes in, you're going to fall between the door opening and the platform because it's a big curve. And so very often, you'll be very impressed with this, you'll, you'll get this, you'll, get hit, you'll hear, hear an announcer going, Mine again, mine again. Well, our prayer needs to be, Lord, close the gap. Because we believe this stuff. So, Lord, close the gap. Close the gap for me personally. Close the gap more and more and more so that my experience and your word line up. Going to swap gears again. John Wimber. Now, you see, what I'm doing here is trying to be a bit acornish. We would quote lots of names from different areas because everybody's got their favorite. And we were trying to make connection. John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement was preaching through the Gospel of Luke. Now, it's very difficult to go through the Gospels and not talk about healing. just doesn't work. And so people said, well, well, John, you've talked about it, let's pray. And John thought, Okay. Otherwise, we're just theoreticians. Now, for about 15 to 18 months, they prayed every Sunday, particularly in the evenings. And this was the fruit. Everybody on the ministry team got sick. And nobody got healed. So John, being an honest guy, one day did something that you've never done. He complained to God. And he said, God, this doesn't work. And in his mind's eye, God spoke back to him and said, John, don't preach your experience, preach my word. And it was that that opened the gateway. In other words, we're going to do this when it seems to work, when it doesn't work. We're just going to do this as a lifestyle because what else are we going to do? Just asking, what else are we going to do? And so we move into this place, and it's more than this, but the healing ministry comes out of deep obedience to Jesus. In other words, those old things, what would Jesus do? Are, Jesus, if you are willing, he says, oh, I am. So what happens next is this. Jesus sends him away at once with a stern warning. And he says to him, don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. We'll come back to the don't tell in a minute. Go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, the priest that we're talking about then, don't think of it in terms of what you'd understand of priests today, but they had a responsibility. Part of their responsibility, when healings were attested to, which they were, the Jewish people knew healings, when it was attested to, it was their responsibility to say, yep, genuine. 
In other words, they held the gateway, they hold the doors as to whether this man is reintegrated or guess what? Not. Jesus doesn't send the man to him, to the priests, in order to get healed. He's healed. But the authorities have to attest that. And of course, we know that they're going to. Now back into the acorn thing. One of the things that Russ, I don't know if he's done it here, would talk to you about is charismatics who've abused doctors. Now, my, my daughter-in-law, my second daughter-in-law, is a doctor, so I have a soft spot for doctors providing they're doctoring somebody else. Where do you want your doctor? Over there. And I'm very good, Don will tell you, I love to visit hospitals, in and out, job done. So, that, but sometimes we see a huge conflict between that which God has provided, and the Catholic tradition has this, that God has provided medicine. Now, ultimately, of course, medicine's not the final answer. I mean by that, you know, no doctor that I know, and I'm sure there are some bad ones out there, if you you go to them and say, oh, I'm sick, they don't sit there and go, oh, that's great. They actually want to help you. And they may try various things, but Russ has discovered that there is huge conflict between saying that the healing ministry is kind of the supernatural bit and the doctor bit is kind of the natural bit. Now, stay with me in the thinking. I thought Jesus came into the world incarnationally. So he uses real people and walks amongst them. Now there is this huge conflict because we think that some things are spiritual and some things are not spiritual. But Jesus has come to take us up into his life and ultimately, and this gets you into a lot of trouble if you don't know what you're talking about, the complete divine life. Not that we will be the Trinity. But God's call on your life and my life is that one day we will see him face to face and he will see us. And we will have a glorified body. So he goes now and the priests say, oh yeah, you're healed. Now naturally, and you might say, well, don't tell this to anybody. And the guy goes off and shares his testimony. And we like to use testimony. Uh, testimony well used is a, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Testimony badly used is an amazing discouragement. <laughs> and it tends to go something like this. God has done this for me, and you know what? If you would get right, he'll do it for you. That's not, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, infliction. But I want you to see something here that's incredibly important. 
Jesus is going to cast out demons. He's certainly touching people. He's certainly bringing them back to life, etc., etc. But the result of this man's disobedience is not that he loses his healing. But to some extent, and in the purposes of God, it will be picked up. But to some extent, Jesus is limited. And the issue behind that is this. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. As you read through the early chapters of Mark, one of the things that Jesus wanted to do was teach. Teaching is so important. But when people were clambering around for the stuff, which we totally understand, why is teaching so important? Why is Jesus, as it were, from Ephesians 4, the teacher? A title also attributed to the Holy Spirit. Why is teaching so important? Any thoughts? Yeah, lack of, perish from, Mary said, perishing from lack of knowledge. Yeah. Anybody else would like to throw one in? Truth. Yeah. And just like, you know, with, with Pilate, what is truth? How do we know? Anybody else like to throw one in? Mm-hmm. So there is a teaching ministry of the church. And I want to suggest to you that wherever I go, I find an amazing lack of well-taught Christians. Now you see, I'm not trying to set up either be taught or be empowered. Could we not have both? And the person who I think best represents this in the last X years would be Professor Gordon Fee. In the early days of Pentecostalism, and Gordon is the son of the son of the son, so he comes down a kind of Pentecostal succession. But in those days, there was a pride associated to not being educated. Nowadays, it's probably reversed the other way around in certain circles. Well, where did you go to school? Now, both of those, of course, are wrong. So Gordon Fee prayed and he said to God, he said, I want to be the smartest Pentecostal, that's a paraphrase, and as full of the fire of God as I can possibly be. And Gordon has gone literally around the world and how many of us think through our scriptural understanding. And indeed, of course, his big book is God's Empowering Presence. Every reference to the Holy Spirit's work. And so helpful to us. So he, he, he's done that. But he's never, ever let go of far. Which do we want? Both. Now, why would I be hot on that in the demonic 
because I, I think it goes something like this. As you know, C.S. Lewis always suggested to us that demons would prefer to be hidden. That is the nature of the occult. Hide away, hide away, hide away. Because a demon exposed is close to being a demon expulsed. Once you can see the sucker, you can get it. I'm serious. It seems to work like that. So, if we can remain in the shadows in our thinking, we have lost a certain amount of the Holy Spirit guiding our thoughts. So, in Romans chapter 12, as you know well, don't be squeezed by this world into its own mold, but go on, be being renewed, where? In the renewal of your mind. Now, for most of you, um, I'm ex- and I'm not, you know, if there is one here, see Ron afterwards, I- I'm assuming most of you are not an axe murderer today. But some in their family tree have definitely gone. I have. I mean, that's, the, that's one of the fun things about family trees. You're going to find some great things and some terrible things. But where's the battle for you today? And I almost guarantee that for most of us, or at least in part, the battle that goes on in the mind is huge. <laughs> Conviction has arrived. <laughs> it's a battle for the mind. Now, it is no good. I mean, we used to do all this kind of stuff just for fun. But if I tell you not to think of pink elephants, now, now don't think about pink elephants. Please, no pink elephants. What are you thinking about? Pink elephants. So when you hit the mind with the don't do, it will never hold you. So what are we going to allow the Spirit of God to place into our minds? Well, presumably, the Word of God. Am I making sense? The Word of God, now the Spirit of God can work on the Word. There's got to be something there. I'm not talking about whether we're smart or not. I'm not smart. I mean that. But I am talking about whether we will allow the Spirit of God to continually renew our minds to think thoughts after Jesus. And we'll end with these couple of thoughts because I guess we should wrap it up. God has given you wonderful gifts. One is imagination. I appreciate that like every gift, you can abuse it. But God has given you imagination. Use it. Allow the Spirit of God to dream those dreams with you. To think thoughts after Jesus. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, says Isaiah, whose imagination rests into thee.
And if you get scared of your imagination, and I understand that, you will become less than human. Allow your imagination to be touched by God. Second one is allow your memory, and I'm not trying to be funny here. I know that for some of us, we're losing our memories. I think I told the story a couple of weeks ago now. I can walk in a room and I know I'm supposed to be there. There's only one question, what for? Don't know. So what I do is I retrace my steps and all of a sudden, I know. I was supposed to be there after all. But let God fill your memory. And the memory that we need to have it filled with, of course, is what God in Christ has done for you. And it's really quite a lot. Just think about what he has done for you and what he's going to do for you, because he's not finished. So what he's going to do with you is he's going to give you a new body. And all God's people cried, hallelujah. Because most of us have got bits that are wearing out. But one day, we're done with this. And I say that kindly because we are supposed to put bodies respectfully to rest. So allow God to come too, please. Touch your imagination, touch your memory. My understanding of the healing ministry is this. It's actually my understanding of God. And it's, it's a difficult one to get over because people want to discuss time. But just for tonight, all time is present to God. That being so, it's very easy for him to step back into the past that you see it as the past, and just not rewrite it, but pull the stings. Very, very easy for him to come and do He's very willing to do that. But listen, based on those two things, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, bring us down tonight that which we can have tomorrow. And I know we, Ron and I have talked a lot about that in different ways. But God wants to take off his table in heaven and bring it in now. So the I am willing for me stems out of this. I'm, I'm very simple when it comes to the healing ministry. Is there any sickness in heaven? That's it. Is there any sin in heaven? Obviously not. And one day, and you need to be very careful with this one, there'll be no interference from the devil in heaven. Now, depending on how you read the scriptures, you'll, you'll decide how much authority the devil has now. But this I know, this is from the Russian church. The devil is God's devil. He's not independent, he can't do what he likes, and he's under the sovereignty of God. And he's not the equal of God on the bad side. So given that... We keep on coming to the Lord so that that which he can expect, that which we have been given, all coalesces in what they call the sacrament of the present. That God meets us and empowers us deeply into the present. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for allowing me to be with the church again. I have some things that I'd like to pray and then we'll see where we go to. Is that okay?